Happy Easter. Today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And I was remarking to my wife this morning that I kind of miss the old days when what we would do is we had three boys and we would plant eggs everywhere in the house. Um, And the thing I miss is for months afterwards, we discover them. Um, (laughs) The, the record right now is 11 months. We found one that, that had been hidden for 11 months. Um, we are talking about the resurrection, and the question is, why is this so important? You know, Paul spends a lot of time talking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He opens the chapter by saying this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand... And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers, At one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So the resurrection is a significant event in history, but the question is why? In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he put man and woman in this garden. And he told them, you know, enjoy this place, but don't eat from that tree. And of course, they ate from that tree. And he came down and, and he, he cursed them, but along the way he also cursed the serpent who had caused Eve to sin. Um, the, the curse went something like this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this curse, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, we had what most scholars believe is a prophecy regarding Jesus. This was the coming of God's Son. We had the flood, we had the Tower of Babel story, and then Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God goes to this man, Abram, and he calls him and he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And one, one point of the, of the promise that God made to him was, and through your seed all nations will be blessed. From the very beginning, God had a plan that he was going to bring his son. Abraham had, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. These 12 sons, uh, because of a famine, moved to Egypt. And while they were in Egypt for 400 years, that family sort of grew, but the Egyptians became afraid of them and turned them into slaves. And so 400 years after they entered Egypt, God called Israel out of Egypt by raising up a man, Moses, to lead them out. Moses took them to a mountain, Mount Sinai, and there they received the law. And the law does nothing but point to Jesus. Look at the law. Why was there so much sacrifice? That sacrifice was going to point to what Jesus was going to do and what he was going to be. The laws regarding clean and unclean food, what did that mean? Well, that was, that was showing or pointing to the fact that someday God would include all people. If you remember when Peter has his dream on the roof, 
That's even one of the interpretations is God says, kill and eat. And he goes, I can't eat these things. They're unclean. And God says, don't call anything that I've created unclean. Even the law pointed to Jesus Christ. So the Israelites, they took over the land of Canaan. They became a great nation. They had judges for a while. Then they they asked for a king and God gave them a king. And through this, this, this series of kings that Israel had, there was a decline of the nation But along the way, every time there was a problem, one of the prophets would come up and and talk to the Israelites and say, hey, you guys need to fix this. And in those prophecies were words about the coming of Jesus Christ. All through history of Israel, there was words and mention and prophecies about the coming of God's Son, the Messiah, to the earth. The, The Israelites messed up. God God had the the northern kingdom taken over by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was taken over by the Babylonians. Seventy years later, God resettled these people back in Israel. And all the way through this, God kept promising them there's something better coming. There's a new covenant that we're going to have. All through this, God is promising his son. So through, through many more years, we had the, the rise of different nations, but finally we're at the point where the Romans have ascended to power. And the Romans are in charge. And let's look at the climate here, because the Jews couldn't stand the Romans, and the Romans didn't really think much of the Jews. And it was into this world that the Son of God was born. And in what has to be one of the most amazing displays of irony in history, the Jews and the Romans were finally able to get together on something. They were able to collaborate on killing the Son of God. This this figure that God has been promising all through history, who's going to be his son, is going to be in the earth, and and when he finally gets there, he's not not just not accepted by his people, he's not accepted by any people. And in fact, All people are able to unite for one cause, and that's to kill this man. That has got to be the greatest defeat in human history. God's own son is rejected by all mankind. Which brings us to the resurrection. Because what God did with the resurrection is he took his greatest defeat, Satan's greatest victory, and he turned it into the greatest moment in history. God was able to take the worst moment in history and make it the best. And we ask, what does that mean to us? What does that tell us? Um, Well, for one thing, it tells us that we have a hope. Uh, uh, Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by by one man came death, by one man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. We have the hope of eternal life. What does hope do for us? Well, Paul talks about this a little bit in, in Ephesians. When he's talking in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God, remember this passage? 
And he says, I want you to prepare yourself and put on this armor of God. And there's a breastplate of righteousness and a shield of faith. Uh, shoes that come from the readiness of being prepared by the gospel. And then you've got the, the girdle of truth. But he throws in the helmet of salvation. Now we're helped out a little bit in 1 Thessalonians when, when Paul talks about the helmet being the hope of salvation. The helmet is our hope of salvation. What does a helmet do? A helmet protects our head. A helmet, back in the, the Roman times, the helmet also sort of focused your sight where you were looking. Our salvation is, that hope of salvation is what protects us. How important is this? So uh, several years ago, I was really interested in human conquest, if you will. Uh, I was really interested in the, the pursuit of Everest, not that I had any designs on doing it myself, but I was really interested in reading about it. And one of the stories that caught my, my attention was uh, back in 1910, uh, Scott and Amundsen, two different people from two different worlds, were both in a, attempting to, to be the first, first people to ever be on the South Pole. And so Scott put himself a team together, they called themselves Terra Nova, and they started out, but, and they were a British team. On the other side of the continent, uh, we had Amundsen, who was Norwegian, and he had a team going. And so they both started out working towards the South Pole. And Scott kept a really good diary, so we, we have access to, to pretty much what happened during that. There were a lot of things that, 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 that determined the outcome of this. But one of the most, um, I guess, poignant points about this was if you look at the picture, Scott, when Scott finally arrived on the South Pole... He got there, and the Norwegian flag was already planted. So he got there, and, and, and there it was. And there's a picture of those guys, the five of them, and they're sitting there with the Norwegian flag behind them, and you can tell they have lost all hope. And in fact, they didn't make it back. On the way back, there's one of them just got up in the middle of the night and walked off from the tent, and he just died out in the wilderness. And when they did find the remaining three that were there, they found them just laying in a tent where they had just decided to die. Hope is really important. Hope is the thing that drives us. We have to have hope. But we have hope. That's the beauty of this. Um, The problem is... It's not all about eternity. I'm going to argue that our hope lives in the here and now. See, there are some people in this room that aren't thinking of eternity. Some people in this room are thinking of health issues that you're facing. Some people in this room are struggling with addictions. Some people in this room are are caught up in sin and don't know how to get out of it. Some people in this room are having relationships that are falling apart. But I'm here to tell you, the God who raised his son from the dead is here to help you. Uh, I'm going to take for a moment a little bit of liberty with the Beatitudes. I'm going to read these Beatitudes from Luke. Blessed are you who are poor, for the God who raised his son from the dead offers you the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, 
For the God who raised his son from the dead will satisfy you. Blessed are you who weep now, for the God who raised his son from the dead promises you laughter. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, for the God that raised his son from the dead promises you joy. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. How do we respond to this? Well, first, we have to really believe. If we don't believe in the power that, that God has given us, shown us, and demonstrated to us, and promises us, then everything I'm about to say is kind of moot. Do we believe in that power? Because if we do, then we have a response. Now, you know something that intrigues me? I'm intrigued by the, our response to a lot of Paul's words. Um, some of the, the things that Paul says we take as commands and we hold them dear, and some of the things we kind of pass off and don't, don't hear me wrong. I, what I'm saying, for example, when Paul says in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives, we all agree that's probably the right thing to do. We all, my, I heard my wife laugh. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we all agree that that is the right thing to do, that husbands should love their wives, that if we don't do that, we are, we are doing something wrong. But later in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, women should worship with their heads covered. And we're okay with saying, well, that's cultural. And I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to start an argument here. I'm just saying that some of Paul's words we look at and we say, hey, this is law. And some of them we look at and say, yeah, we can let this one go. Well, here's one that I'm going to tell you that is law that we shouldn't let go. And it comes from Philippians chapter 2. And it says... Do all things without grumbling or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I'll read that again. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. He doesn't leave that one as do most things without grumbling or complaining. He doesn't say, you know, if you feel like it, don't grumble. What he's saying is quit. Now, why is that important? Why do you think it's important that we as Christians actually demonstrate the joy and the love that we theoretically experience? Well, for a couple things, it's it's kind of a litmus test to tell us how we're doing. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here, but I was much younger, so I think I'm okay. Um, when, When, and I don't remember which of my two older boys this was, but when they were little kids, we were coming back from church one day, and my wife and I were talking about things, and whichever child it was, I believe it was Houston, but I don't know for sure, but he said, you must not like church very much. And I said, why? He said, because you're always complaining about it. That really bothered me. It really, it, I mean, after I spanked him, I, uh, I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. Um, it, but it really bothered me that my son had caught me on something like that. And just, I, 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 it, was, it was a profound moment. It was a life-changing moment for me. I have another story, too, that this, this is, 
I have, my best friend lives in Denton, and I go up and visit he and his wife every once in a while. And so a couple of months ago, I was up there, and I was talking to Connie, his wife, and she was talking about church. And she said, you know, I was at Walmart the other day, and I ran into a friend of mine from church. And she said, and I was kind of feeling a little bit complainy, so I started complaining about the worship service saying how I don't think the worship service is doing that much for me. And da-da-da-da. my friend said, I agree. And the two of them just started complaining back and forth. She said about three minutes into it, she realized they were on exactly opposite sides of the issue. That she liked the new songs, but her friend liked the old songs. And when she mentioned this to her friend, they both sat there and laughed for a minute. But Connie said, you know, what has done to me is that since that time, when we sing the old songs, it makes me happy because I know someone I love is happy. And I said, that's, that's profound. Guys, I'm here to tell you, just for a moment, if there's something you don't like, trust that someone else does and be happy for that person. We are called to be people of joy. Paul finishes this section off by talking about the fact that, that uh, we are lights in this world. That as these people of joy, that we, we, we shine. You can't shine if you're always complaining. You can't shine if you're always unhappy. You can't shine if it's all about you not getting what you want. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that the God who raised his son is here wanting to work in your life? Do you believe that? If you do, live it. And I think that's part of the point of what Paul was saying here. Um... You know, a yo-yo, a crazy, crazy segue, but a yo-yo is a simple toy. The idea behind a yo-yo is you throw it down, and then if you've thrown it well, it'll come back to you. And so I guess a couple of years ago, I bought a yo-yo, and it came with a yo-yo player trading card. <laughs> and so on this card, was, was the, the player's name was Ed Haponic, and he actually signed this card. And what he wrote on this card was throw grace, catch joy. And I really like that. I, I hung it up in my office. Um, that we should be people who throw grace and catch joy. We are the people of God. We live in the promises that were made from the very beginning of time. God promised his son, and we get to see the entire historical uh, the, the story. We get to see it all. And we live in that time. But some people in this room are struggling with this life. Some people are dealing with problems and just don't have that joy. And here's, I would ask that here in a moment we're going to be singing a song, and there are going to be... Uh, leaders of this church standing around, and please find one of them and have them pray with you. Um, 
But some of you in here have never allowed the God who raised his son from the dead to really change your life. And you are going to be given that opportunity as well. So let's stand and sing.